Ron Ananian. Ron Ananian, the car doctor at, the, at your, at your, at your, Ron car doctor at your, it's a new mouth, right? That's a new mouth. Working for a living, living and working. I'm taking what they're giving because I'm working for a living. The car doctor. You can see that it's, it's really going to become a technician's game going forward if it isn't already. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, whatever they might be, automotive-related. Cardoctorshow.com is the place you're going to find some more information about this radio show, as well as the ability to podcast and stream us, as we are uh, out across some 80-odd affiliates. But we also give the option to live stream the show and uh, download podcasts and uh, do podcast stuff, as you podcasters like to do vis-a-vis the website. And uh, takes you on over to Spreaker and um, just click subscribe. Subscribe or favorite, however it is, if you're using a portable player and um, helps the cause. Um, boy, wow, it's uh, it was a week off last week, and I appreciated that. Um, yes, well, um, I didn't because I had to fly you in the Macy's parade because you ate so much. Well, I was really, I was really, I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is like my favorite, you know. It's, I am thankful. I'm thankful yeah, that no I get kidding. to eat so we much. We had to get a turkey just for you. Well, yeah, well, it's, you know. <clears throat> You are what you eat, um, you know. So, but it is what it is. You're looking especially radiant today, Mister Ray. Um, yes, yes, doing well, doing yeah. well. Just uh, you know, doing my thing, and uh, it was nice to have the week off. You're yeah, right. It was, it was. But I'm all charged up and ready to go. We had a great week at the shop. We had a 2008. I'm going to be quick because we got a lot going on this hour. This hour, the next two hours, we got Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau coming on around the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk to Paul about the GM impending GM layoffs. I should say it like that. Um, Paul is, is is recognized as the authority out there in the automotive world, and um, we're going to talk to him. But down around the bottom of the hour, but we 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 just the phones were already lit up and backed up. So um, real quick, we had a 2008 Jeep Grand Cherokee in the shop this week. Just some food for thought about how are we going to fix these cars, right? Here's an 11 year old vehicle, and the problem with it was the headlight leveling system didn't work. You got to get bells and whistles on cars, right? You've you've, you've got to make it more difficult. It's it's neat stuff, but when it breaks, oh boy, it breaks. Uh, you know, my late father always said, you 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 want a refrigerator that's white, cold, and the light turns on when you when you open the door. And you know what? He's been gone. Gosh, he's been gone since 1968. I still think that's true today, right? You want it simple. This 08 Grand Cherokee came in and it had the optional HID high intensity headlights. So when you start the car, the, the car has the ability to level the headlights and trim them based on um, angularity, uh, how the vehicle's sitting in relation to the road, and, and some other factors. You can actually you know, adjust headlight position. It's great when it works. When it doesn't, yeah, not so much. There's no real way to accurately diagnose this. <clears throat> Jeep doesn't really give you a lot of options. They want you to run some resistance tests, take apart connectors and check resistance and so forth, but there's no printed information on what a good sensor looks like, what a bad sensor looks like in terms of either voltage or counts, which is what the scan tool gave us. We can surmise what uh, voltage should be. It's a 5-volt signal. It's a three-wire sensor. It's a lot like a throttle position sensor, but 
where should that voltage be sitting? You know, just just sitting there when it's uh, you know in 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 the bay at and in, in park, just the engine running. Where should it be if the vehicle was hanging in the air? Nobody knows. So it set a fault code for a right front or a front. I'm sorry, a front headlight level sensor circuit low. So it's a circuit performance code. All right. So you've got to go through some basics, common sense. And I tell you this because maybe you're going to have a problem like this one day where there's no real documentation. Take it apart in your head. How does it work? you got three wires. you got a ground, or we're calling it return now in the new millennium to make people understand it's, it's the voltage return back to the module or the chassis. It's return. We've got a signal line, and we've got a 5-volt feed. Did we have 5-volt feed at the sensor? Yes. Did we see signal coming back? Yes. We just don't know what that signal is, if it's correct or not, because we don't know what the spec is. Nobody publishes it. We've got a ground. We verified that using that, that ground leg as the ground or the return when we checked for 5 volts on the feed line, on the 5-volt reference line. How do I know that that's a bad sensor? Well, as luck would have it, the sensor in the rear, there's one in the rear, there's one in the front, the sensor in the rear was exactly like the front. So what do you do if you're a good Boy Scout? You get creative. I was able to fight my way through the rust and bolts and, and, and so on and so forth and swap the rear sensor for the front. The low voltage signal followed the sensor. Of course, it could be that I had a high voltage signal from the rear sensor and maybe I've got a bad rear sensor and the code is incorrect because the logic the computer's programmed with doesn't make any sense. I won't know that till Monday and I'll report back, but the bottom line is Think about it. If you're working on a two-sensor problem, a three-sensor problem, can you move things around once you verify the circuit works? The fact that I got the same reading in the front that I did from the rear once I moved the rear sensor up front tells me that the circuit itself, the wiring, is intact. One of the sensors is bad. We're going to find out next week. Just some food for thought as we kick off this hour of the car doctor. Right now, let's kick the garage doors open because, boy, the list is bulging. Let's go over and talk to Walt in Delaware. Walt, how can I help you, sir? Welcome aboard. Hey, greetings from the first town in the first state. Thank you, sir. I have a 2000 Ford Excursion. Uh, it's got the uh, 5.4 Triton V8 in it. Okay. About 132,000 miles. Just broken in. You remember, yeah. you remember this thing was a massive vehicle. It was like six blocks long. Yep. I think it was the longest production vehicle. Oh, yeah. And the thing weighed a gazillion pounds. So to help lighten it up, they put an aluminum head on the V8. Well, with 132,000 miles on it, this thing, this or my version, decided to blow the spark plug. Now, which, I mean literally blow them off the head. Which, which one did it blow out, Walt? Now, let me ask you it this way. Did it blow out the third one on the passenger side or the second one on the driver's side? Both. Really? Yeah. Okay. So okay. now I'm running a, v, a V6. So well, look at the fuel economy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. Um, so I went and had him put the uh, the thread kits on there. Okay. And the thing has just not been right since. Do I own a rock now? Well, it depends on how well they repaired those threads. And, it's you know, it's an acquired skill. When you say you took it somewhere, where did you take it? Who did it? At the local guy down the street. Yeah. You know, it's how straight is the plug? How deep is the plug? It, you know, threads are threads. If it if it threads in, great. Um, if it's if it's is it misfiring, Walt, or is it just like low on power? Very low on power. 
and it's not misfiring. It makes so much darn noise, it's hard to tell. What do you, what do you mean it makes so much darn noise? Uh, it, it doesn't sound like a backfire, but it's, it's just a... I, I guess it would be a misfire. Yeah, so, you know, the question becomes, is the check engine light on? Yeah, it's been on for years, yes. Okay, is it flashing? No. All right. So, is this guy that you took it to, is he your regular mechanic? Yes. All right. Um, can you go back and talk to him and say, hey, here's what happened, what do you think? Uh, I took it back to him, they said, eh, time to put an engine in it. So yeah. I think he just sort of washed his hands. Yeah, you know, I... Before we go that route, we got to get a second opinion. And I'm not going to say it's going to be the dealer. I'm going to say you've got to ask around. You know, here in North Jersey, there's only one or two guys that can properly do that job to to to, to install the threads and get them square and and make it so that it's you know it's it's a correct repair. Uh, the dealers don't necessarily always do it. Uh, the dealers usually send it out to the machine shop. You know, the sad part is it depends upon what he did or how he did it, whether it can be redone and redone correctly. Yeah, um, that was my next question. Is right. that reversible? Right. It may or may not be. Do you have an engine machine shop in your neighborhood? No, nah, we're, we're at the beach. Uh, we don't have too many machine shops. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost that is a machine shop repair. That is not something we wouldn't do it in-house at the shop. We would send it out. As a matter of fact, one of the guys in, in, in North Jersey that can still do that job is a personal friend of mine. He worked at the machine shop that went out of business five years ago because nobody rebuilds engines anymore. And I, I maintain a close relationship with Jeff for a variety of reasons, but he's always handed it, hey, Jeff, come up to the shop, put the kid in. Um, and I've watched him do it. It's, it's fascinating to watch, but it takes a very steady hand and a very exact eye. If somebody hasn't done it a lot, then you know chances are things are bound to go wrong. Here's what we can do that's simple, though. See if you can get your mechanic or another mechanic to at least scan it for fault codes. If a misfire is being reported on either of the two cylinders that were repaired, then we've got to take a look as to why. If, if you're telling me the engine is noisy, it almost sounds like the spark plugs aren't seated properly, like the thread repair isn't done properly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, then it's got to be redone. The question is, it's not him. Who's it going to be? And maybe you've got to ask him that question. Listen, I've been coming to you for X number of years. You know, our relationship is based on not when things are going good, but here's the moment when we've got a problem. You're going to help me work through this and, and, and help me get the truck resolved. I'm not blaming you. I'm just asking for help. See how he handles sure, that. Understand. See how he handles that, all right? Any mechanic all right. worth his salt is going to respond to that and say, you know what, let's get through this. Let's make it work. Okay, good. That, that's good, uh, good practice. All right, so let me know what happens, Walt. I'm curious. Will do. Thank you, Ron. You're very welcome, sir. Take good care. 855-560-9900. Ron Aining, The Car Doctor, coming back right after this. What's more fun than listening to Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Matt in Ohio, 2000 Toyota Camry and a water leak problem. Matt, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, hey, Ron. How you doing, man? Good. What's going on? Uh, 2000 Toyota Camry, and every time it rains, the passenger side floor just gets absolutely soaking wet. Okay. S sunroof, and, uh, sunroof car. Yeah, sunroof. Okay. Um, 
Anybody try to fix this prior, before? I have no idea. I've had it for about a year, and I don't know what's been done. Okay. Does the sunroof does the sunroof still work? Yes. Okay. Good. Sunroofs are a calculated water leak. I'll tell you what, I will never order a car with a sunroof ever again in my life. Because the more I work on them, the more I think they're the stupidest thing we ever put into a car. All right? You know, if if you look at a sunroof, you know, and it, it kind of got me a couple of years ago. I used to think a sunroof was perfectly sealed up top, but it's not. It's a calculated leak. They expect it to leak water. That's why in the corner of each or in the each corner of the sunroof, there's a water drain. All right? Do this. Open the sunroof and then, you know, open the doors, open the sunroof and look with a flashlight in the, each corner, each front corner. There's going to yeah. be a little there's going to be a little drain hole. All right? Easy to do. Take a Dixie cup of water, 6-8 ounces of water and just pour it, you know, carefully so you don't spill it in the interior, but pour it in the corner of the of the, of the drain hole. It should go right down. It should gurgle and whoosh, out. And you'll see it come out down on the ground, typically about an inch behind the front tire, depending upon what side you're on. So do it on the driver's side first, because that's the side that doesn't have the water leak, all right? Then do the same thing to the passenger side. See if the same amount of water that came out of the driver's side comes out on the passenger side. And I bet it doesn't, which tells us that the passenger side drain is either clogged, see if the water even drains down. If it's not, it's sloshing over the, 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 the sides of the sunroof dam. You'll understand when you get it open, and it's spilling down and working its way down to the floor that way. Or the, the, the drain is free, but there's a tube in the A-pillar. If you look at the side of a car, the pillar by the windshield's A, the one in the middle of the doors is B, the one in the back is C, A, B, C. The A-pillar water drain, the tube is either clogged or it's come apart or split, or it's fallen out of the hole at the very bottom at the cowl at the base of the windshield, and it's allowing water to come in inside the cabin. All right? First thing you got to go to, you got to look at the water drain for the sunroof and verify that's working before you go anywhere else. All right? Do that for me, and uh, let me know what happens. All right. Thanks, Ron. All right, Appreciate Matt. You're very welcome. Give me a call back when you know. Jeff in Lansing, Michigan. How can I help you, sir? Well... I, my mother's 2013 Impala. I used the Pennzoil Platinum. Okay. But for changing out the five quarts of transmission oil, there's the O'Reilly's, and they also have the Valvoline. It's all synthetic, and I've seen STP. So I'm wondering what you would use. Uh, what I would use is, well, keep in mind, so General Motors wrote a very specific tolerance for transfluid going back as early as 2006, 2007. They changed a lot of their, they, they back changed or they allowed for a changeover from DEX 3 up to DEX 6, which is their current version of a full synthetic transfluid. Uh, you know, it, I would compare price point, but if all things were being equal and I had the choice of the DEX 6, I would just grab DEX 6 off the shelf. Uh, it's a full synthetic. It's it's rated to meet the spec. It'll be fine. Um, I think the reason the other transfluids are out there is it's a price point. I don't know where they fall dollar-wise. The most important thing when you're considering a fluid, Jeff, whether it's trans or oil or anything, is read the back of the bottle. 
what standard? If you read the small print, they all tell you meets, and then they give you a spec and standard. They say this meets manufacturer spec ALS twenty eight hundred two or uh, you know um, uh, you know MS five hundred two for Volkswagen something like that. Uh, you know everything's written to a certain standard. My point becomes, don't assume just because this is an approved transfluid for car number one. It's going to be an approved transfluid for car number two. Everything is written very, very close for a tolerance today. If my choice was whether it's O'Reilly or Valvoline or Pennzoil, I'm going to look at price. I'm going to look at, you know, do they have, do they have the right amount that I need, all right? And is it, does it match the car, okay? Because let me explain something, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but O'Reilly, Valvoline, and Pennzoil likely don't make their own oils and fluids anymore. All right, um, they're they're buying it from somebody. The majority of oils and lubricants in the automotive um, market, whether it's OE manufacturer or otherwise, I think more than sixty percent are currently made by a company called Warren Manufacturing. And it's just it's just like it was years ago. We would spec out batteries and say, hey, we want a battery made to this spec. And there was three battery manufacturers in the country like fifteen years ago. Now I think there's two. Um, but, you know, one battery manufacturer is making Interstate, Delco, Exide, you know, just rattle off the list. So, you know, but most important thing is does it meet the manufacturer spec? If it does, you want to buy name, you feel better buying Valvoline or you feel better buying Pennzoil, great. You know, but as long as it meets manufacturer spec, that's what you're really after. But So it's all the same to you? Yeah, it's all the same to me. Okay, all right. That's what I need to know. You know? Um, I also I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I also mentioned that uh, the dealership has been sending my mother offers. They need used cars so badly that they'll, they're willing to take her 2013 and trade in for a brand new car at, with no payments. Right. Well, y y really. Well, I think they also need to sell or move new cars. But um, regardless, uh, wow, interesting. Well, listen, yeah. Jeff. Just uh, like I said, just go look at. Um, uh, Dexo six. De it's it's, it's, it's going to be Dex. It's going to be Dexron six. Dexo six. Uh, no, not Dexos. Dexron. Dexron Dex six. Dexos right. is related for the oil. So correct. All right, Thank kiddo. You very much. You're very welcome. You take good care. Hey, coming up next. Boy, wasn't it a shock with GM this week laying off fifteen thousand workers next year and shutting five major plants? Well, we're going right to the front of the horse to get some answers. Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com, the Detroit Bureau is coming up next, and we're going to talk to Paul all about this. Stay tuned. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on an alien, the car doctor. Um, big news out of GM this week out of Detroit. GM is laying off, uh, um, uh, you know, 15% of its workers and, and closing five plants here in North America. And we thought we would go right to the front of the horse and get some great answers that he always gives us. Uh, Mr. Eisenstein, no pressure here, Paul. Um, Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com. How are you today, sir? It's good to be with you. Um, you know, what, what the heck is going on in the world of GM? Well, uh, GM is right-sizing, I guess you could call it. Uh, the plan calls for as many as five plants to go away. Those include three assembly plants, two in the Midwest, one in Canada, and two uh, transmission and uh, engine plants. So that's a big news. But on top of that, they're also 
planning to cut something like 15% of their salaried workforce. So this is a big, big, big cutback. Uh, I should stress, here's the thing. They use an interesting term when they talk about what their plans are. They say that they are unallocating the products that are going into those three assembly plants. What that means is there's no product plan. So by the end of next year, unless they make a change, there'll be nothing to build and those plants will close. However, that could mean that the plants can get some other product and wind up staying open. And I don't know if you caught the news, but the fact is the UAW, the United Auto Workers Union, will be negotiating with them sometime toward the latter part of next year with a deadline of sometime, uh, I believe it's about mid-September of 2019. So I would be very, very surprised if that isn't the number one object, the number one topic on the agenda at those contract talks. And I would probably bet you that at least one of those plants may find suddenly being allocated new product and staying open. Now, do you think that new product could be, and this was my theory that after I did some reading and other research, you know, is this to create the push towards electric vehicles, do you think? Yeah, if you, if you listened to Mary Barr, the CEO of General Motors, and read some of their releases, they mentioned that there are several things at work here. One, excuse me, one is the massive shift away from sedans and coupes to SUVs, CUVs and pickups, uh, and, and the reality is sedans like the six that they're getting rid of just aren't selling. It just doesn't justify building them anymore. Right. But they also mentioned electrification, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they have some plans going. Uh, you may recall that almost exactly a year ago, GM announced that they will have at least two more all-electric vehicles excuse me, to go into production in 2019 on top of the Chevy Bolt EV. So could some of those products go into one of those plants? That's a possibility. Could an SUV go into one of those plants? That's a possibility. There is one thing I should note, however. There's another, there's one product that many of us thought would be going away. We knew that cuts were coming. And the one that didn't get on the list was a Chevrolet Sonic, a very small car that is not selling very well. But it's built up in a plant north of Detroit, Lake Orion plant, alongside the Chevrolet Bolt EV. Now, that plant is running way under capacity, but it's not being shuttered. Why? Because we think at least one of the EVs, sorry, or possibly several of them, would go into that plant. So that probably is the first plant to get some future EVs. But again, I would be surprised if at least one of the three assembly plants that they, they targeted wind up being uh, a, a central figure in the UAW contract talks and wind up staying open. Do you think that, you know, Mary Barr was talking uh, this week, um, just this morning, I think I, I read it, that she's going to go in front of Congress next week and, and talk to them about, you know, the layoffs and why. Uh, but she also references that they've lost, I think it was a billion dollars in in um, uh, revenue based on the, the, the steel tariffs that the president put in place. Do you really buy that the, the, the steel tariffs are, is, is really affecting GM already to that magnitude? Yeah. Uh, the, 
both Ford and General Motors have said that they have taken about a billion dollar hit, or at least they're booking a billion dollars in losses for the full year as a result of the steel and aluminum tariffs. Uh, let's face it, that, that those tariffs don't work. Yes, we've heard about uh, some jobs being created at one particular steel plant, but across the industry, whoever you talk to, whether it's the domestics, the Japanese, Koreans, or Europeans, all of whom operate plants in North America and particularly in the United States, they're all taking a bath on uh, on the steel and aluminum they use. It's a very expensive, and it is costing jobs. On top of that, another move that the president has made is also costing a lot. Uh, I, I wrote a story this week that noted that uh, Volvo, which just opened up a plant in Charleston, South Carolina, is now going to have to cut back on plans to increase production and boost hiring at that plant because 50% of the capacity of that plant was supposed to go overseas, was supposed to be exported, and a lot of that was going to go to China. Well, now with the China tariffs, the trade war that the president has gotten us into, the Chinese are not buying American-made cars, so Volvo has to cut back. We're also likely to see BMW which operates the uh, the plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina, that is now the single biggest exporter of American-made cars. Well, they have to cut back because they can't ship to China from that plant products like the BMW X5 Sport Utility Vehicle. And as a result, they are going to probably not hire as much, and some of that production is going to be transferred to China. Hmm. In fact, this, the, the tariffs the president has put in place will likely wind up with a number of products that are being built in the United States wind up being built in China. It's backfiring very badly on the industry. Wow. That's, um, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, wow. Hmm. Hey, let's leave that there. Paul, real quick before I let you go, you're at the um, L.A. Auto Show this week? Yeah, I am. What's going on out there in, uh, in uh, three minutes or less? Well, it's a it's a bigger show than many of us expected going into it. You know, car shows in general have been sort of uh, slumping. A lot fewer previews than they used to be. Many manufacturers sh- uh, shifting to doing things uh, at standalone events. But a few big ones here. The biggest SUV that Hyundai has ever launched, uh, the Palisade, was debuted here. Uh, we saw an update to the Nissan Maxima. We saw all sorts of interesting products. A uh, new Mazda with a stunning new design language. And probably, to me, the star of the show was the Audi e-tron GT. It will become their third all-electric vehicle when it goes into production in 2020. And I have to tell you, it's stunning. And it was fun because uh, I got to see a sneak preview a couple days before the official uh, media briefing at the show. And Robert Downey Jr., the Iron Man, was there to help unveil it. How neat is that? Yeah. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, that's got to be fun. By the way, yeah. this, is a, this is a sports car, all electric, 250-mile range, 0 to 60 in just over three seconds, and probably one of the most beautiful designs I have seen in quite some time. You know, with all the talk of electric vehicles, Paul, real quick before I let you go, and, and, uh, you know, with all the talk about electric vehicles, you've got to wonder what the impact will be, and maybe this is a suggested article that I knew you would do a great job researching and writing, the impact of electric vehicles on uh, on how it will reduce the value or our interest in the Middle East without the need for that much oil. It's going to be a, 
It's going to be a very interesting political future the next 50 or 60 years. You can, uh, yeah, exactly. In fact, some people already are suggesting that what's driving down prices of oil is not something that's being magically done at the White House, but lower demand already uh, from improved fuel economy uh, with all vehicles, and particularly electrified vehicles yep. that just simply need less oil. Tanya, the man with all the answers. Here he is, Paul Eisenstein, the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. As always, sir, we're, we're grateful to have you, and uh, we look forward to more conversation. It's great to be with you. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. You take good care. Have a good rest of the day. I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. We're on the the car doctor. Again, we want to thank Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. Just good, solid information. He's always there, and he's right on the cutting edge. Let's get over and talk to Miguel in Florida, 2003, Subaru and some drivetrain problems. Miguel, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> well, I have a 2003 Subaru Baja, and it's got almost 300,000 miles. Okay. The problem was that... Uh, all of a sudden started losing power whenever it was like on a slope, you know, it's an uphill. Right. Uh, the car was running perfect. I, I went crazy. I, I'm, I, I was, I worked as a mechanic for most of my life. So, uh, the first thing I did was I disconnected the exhaust system thinking that the catalytic converter, because it's always had right a, a restriction. Uh, sure. Light. Good place to start. Yep. Yep. Yes. I disconnected it. Uh, at first, had a little power, then uh, as soon as it got a little bit warmer, stopped. You know, I mean, not stopped. He never really did stop, but he would lose power, lose power, you know. Okay. Next thing I did, I took the uh, fuel filter out. I make sure that it was clean, you know, it's uh, no problem with it, no, no dirt in it, you know. I I didn't put a gauge on the fuel pump, so I, I I figured this must be it because it felt like it was you know it had it wasn't getting any fuel. Right. So I got a new fuel pump in it. Same thing again. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it drove me crazy. I bet you. you know, I bet you you're gonna buy. I bet you you're gonna buy a fuel pressure gauge now, aren't you? Right. Yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> see, for the I know. Next time. We, we always we always find a way to spend money on the tool after the fact. So go ahead. After see, the fact. After the it's fact. True. So go ahead. Yeah, now yeah. what do you got, brother? Okay, but finally, I think I finally found the problem, and I think I'm going to try to make a fix with it. It's uh, I took apart the front of the engine, you know, and I saw that there the key to the <clears throat> sprocket for the timing belt was broken it was uh it, it was it was like moving you know what i mean okay uh, and the so the sprocket and also the uh harmonic balancer spun. also was broken right the harmonic yeah. balancer spun yes it was spinning and you know so what, what i'm figuring to do now it's i bought a new key a new uh sprocket and a new harmonic balancer, I hope that I don't have to change the crankshaft. You see? Right, yeah. I'm going to put some JB Weld there, put the new key, and see what happens. <laughs> you know um, what I mean? You know, it's okay. You can try it. It's not going to, you know, at this point, you've got nothing to lose because, yeah, the next step would be to um, to repair the crank or replace the crank. So JB Weld's done some remarkable things, and it, it, it yeah. might just work. Uh, you know, just 
just be mindful. Um, you know, just don't overdo it with the JB. Uh, you know, just, right. just 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 enough and a little bit more, and uh, you should be okay. I've seen it fix quite a few, everything from tractors. Somebody and told me that yeah. I had, uh, they used it, and I had one time that yep. was leaking, yeah. no. and, it, and that it worked for them, you yep. know. So yeah. I said, well, there's less heat in that area, right. so it might, it might work. It you might know? work. At least, I'll tell you what, it'll probably work a short term, and I'm hoping it works a long term, but at the very least, it'll probably work short term and at least tell you if that is the problem. Um, exactly. And, and, and then if it loosens up and the problem comes back, then you've got to decide, you know, do you want to just take it apart and split it and put a crank in it, or do you want to put another engine in it? And uh, exactly. you, may, you, you may be better off economically to put an engine in it because of you know really? three, three hundred thousand miles. So um, really, yeah. Listen, good piece of detective work, Miguel, for working without tools. I commend really? you, sir. And uh, <laughs> thank uh, you. you know, let us let us know it. Let us know how it works out. We'd be curious to hear if you feel like it. Take some pictures. Perfect. We'll we'll put them up Perfect. on Facebook. All right. You have a good rest of the I, afternoon, I, my friend. Thank you, my friend. You're thank very you very welcome. Much. Take good care. Bye bye. Eight hundred five eight hundred eight five five. I keep doing that. I'm changing my phone number. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running in the car dog. I'll be back after this, I promise. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Amy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900, the 24-7 car doctor, toll-free phone number, 855-560-9900. Call, leave a message if we're not in. And Tom Ray, our executive producer, chief cook, bottle washer, board operator, and toilet scrubber, will call you back and get you in the next live broadcast, put you up and uh, bring you up here, and we can uh, talk about your car problem. I went out last night. I was kidnapped last night. I have to tell the story this way because I think we did something illegal, um, sort of, kind of. Um, the boys kidnapped me last night. I won't say who and I won't say where, but we uh, I was kidnapped last night and taken for a ride in a 2016 Dodge Challenger. The four-door sedan, right? That's the Challenger, I think. Uh, a, a Challenger Hellcat. Oh, my God. I think that's the only three words you can use to describe that car. Uh, 707 horsepower with the red key. Um, just just unbelievable out of the factory what that car will do. We went out for cheeseburgers and guys' night and just gabbing, and um, I was really bad. I had a double Wisconsin cheeseburger with fried onions and, and, and bacon in it. It was, whew, I mean, off the wall. And uh, melted mozzarella fries and gravy. But the ride home, we um, we sort of found this desolate spot, and it just kind of, you know, y y what is it? You you can take the man out of the kid, but you can't take the kid out of the man, right? Uh, you know. And we kind of lowered it down to a twenty miles an hour, and then we he kicked it. I won't. I wasn't driving. I was I was kidnapped. I was captured in this car. We went from twenty miles an hour to one hundred and fifteen. Between there's an overpass where it's a it's a it's it's a it's a half mile over between the overpasses. We went from a 20 mile an hour kick to 115 and back down to 55 miles an hour in between the overpasses. I was just like floored. I couldn't believe the acceleration. I haven't felt something like that well since I had blackout. But not that I would know what that feels like because I never go over 40 miles an hour with that car. Um, but I, I got to tell you, I walked I walked away from it thinking that if if performance cars were the checkbook or dollar equivalent of what they were in the 60s, the muscle car revolution would be born again. Um, the only bad thing about this car was I was informed that at full wide open throttle, they've got documentation, 
a Hellcat Dodge will drain the gas tank in 10 minutes. Um, so <laughs> and believe me, the way that thing pulled through second and third gear, I believe it. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.